Candace Elo's sophomore novel, Break This House, gifts readers with Yamina, a teenager attempting to balance the life she has been rebuilding since she and her father moved from their hometown of Obsidian, Michigan to Brooklyn, New York. In an attempt to maintain her close relationships, Yamina is suddenly struck with news that leaves her blindsided and reeling from grief. Join us on this next episode as we talk with Candace about their craft of writing young adult fiction to embody the true essence and voice of teenagers, their desire to write characters that are imperfect, and approaches the issues of grief and addiction that give space for readers to gain perspective about life's lessons. So don't go away. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we are joined with a very special guest. We are joined by none other than Candace Elo. Candace Elo is a first generation Nigerian American writer, teaching artist, and youth educator. They are a graduate of Howard University and hold an MFA in writing from Leslie University. Their work has earned fellowships from Lambda Literary and Vona, among many others. Their debut novel, Everybody Looking, was a finalist for the National Book Award and earned a Michael L. Prince honor. Today, we are speaking to them about their sophomore novel, Break This House. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Candice? Hi, I I am doing all right. I'm catching my breath today and getting some rest and I'm excited to be here. I've been thinking about this interview for a while. We are definitely excited. Uh, we've been thinking about this since yes. we found out that you were writing this, another book <laughs> and uh, we are so grateful to have you on the show. So we're going to get started. Denny is going to start with her favorite part mm-hmm. of the some some, some friendly <laughs> questions. Okay. Um, uh, so, question number one: Which one of your characters in Break This House would you allow to live with you in Philadelphia? What? Yeah, <laughs> they're fun. See, like uh, that's wild. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. Like, which of them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would let Nikki Joy live with me because I think she would be fun and I think she's low-key really responsible. Yes, she is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got me on the low-key responsible. <laughs> yeah, she she seems like she has a solid head on her shoulders and she just she just presents as way more out there than she is. I concur. Yes. <laughs> what is the best part of being Nigerian American? Uh, I feel that I have had the privilege of knowing exactly where my dad's side of the family is from since I was born. So, um, I really like that. I really like that. I haven't necessarily had to have the journey of trying to figure out, you know, 
where my people are from specifically. And um, I watch a lot of my friends have to do that and doing ancestry tests and things like that. And that's just an experience I haven't had to worry about too much. Yes, I understand that greatly. I just did mine last, last year, a yes. year ago. And I can say that I am also Nigerian. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. 1%. Uh, my sister is more Nigerian than I am. I'm kind okay. of about that. But <laughs> yeah, so it's in there. It's the, it's the dominating house. <laughs> okay. Yes, very much that. Um, what was the last song that you danced your heart out to? Oh my God, this, these questions. Um, <laughs> I, I am not sure about a specific song. I do know that um, I was driving back from New York this weekend and I was listening to a SoundCloud mix that was really great. And it was, I think it was like 40 minutes of just Afro beats mixed in with some like just top 40 stuff. And I had a great time in my car. <laughs> Uh, yes my son would love that <laughs> yes like this sounds like he has great great taste in music yes, he, he is too but he he knows he knows where it's at <laughs> yes absolutely speaking of you driving from new york which character would you go on a road trip with my god uh hmm it would be nikki joy again because Nikki Joy is she wants to be she wants to be a singer songwriter and she like I I feel like naturally she's one of the characters that like is really into all kinds of music is fun is, is pushing her best friend Yamina to like live and be curious and do things so I think that she would make like a road trip like easier to get through because she would be entertaining that's what's up. Nikki would be like, let's go to the Roots picnic. Let's go. Oh my God. You know, actually you're making me want to take this, take this answer back. Because <laughs> I just, I really do not like taking a long trip and somebody in the car just keeps wanting us to stop. <laughs> that would be me. I have to pee. <laughs> oh my God. I just like, I prep for the drive as much as I can by like, I'll hydrate a lot that morning, but I'll make sure like I'm good right before I get on the road because I do not want to have to stop if I don't have to. <laughs> you sound like my husband. <laughs> it's the way to, it's, you know, it's like, it's efficient. If you get it, you get things out of the way that way. But I, I you know, you lose a lot of time every time you stop on the road. Yes, but yeah, I mean, I think I would keep it as Nikki Joy for now. Um, possibly Pops, like possibly her dad. Oh, yeah. um, now that would be a dope trip. Yes. Yeah, because I think he's he's a very chill dad and he's himself and he also is a musician. So he probably would be wanting to put put Yamina on to all these songs that she doesn't really know on her own. And I think it would be really mm -hmm. cute, actually. Y'all young folks don't know about that. <laughs> right. Exactly that. Exactly that. So this last question is kind of like a, a curveball. Um, if your cats would become human, which one would you trust to be able to come pick you up if you were stranded in Obsidian, Michigan? This is the weirdest question. <laughs> wow, you guys have a wonderful imagination because, wow. Uh, that's, this is crazy. Uh, I would choose Maxine. Maxine is the more 
uh, calm and collected and uh, assertive cat. And she just seems a little bit more level-headed. Whereas my other cat, Charlie, is very skittish, very loopy, very strange. And I think she would freeze up in a crisis, honestly. <laughs> like, we can't do this. Yeah, she needs help. She needs support through moments like that. She can't be held responsible entirely. <laughs> All right. nah. Charlie. Charlie sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> She's a great cat, but it's just like, I know what her strengths are and are not. That's okay. Yeah. Charlie would not be the one. Like, I can't nope. pick you up. Ask Maxine. Yeah. She'd be like, this is, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on me right now and I'm feeling very closed in. <laughs> um. So before we get started, why don't you give our listeners a little synopsis on what Break This House is all about? Okay. Uh so Break This House is a story that follows a 16-year-old named Yamina Okar, who uh, currently lives in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, uh, as an expat. She's lived there for some years with her dad following a divorce, um, their, her, her parents' divorce. And she, you know, is kind of trying to live her life with all of that stuff in the past. And one day she's on Facebook and she receives some really shocking news about her mother who she hadn't seen in years. And it is devastating. And she suddenly, like her childhood is kind of like a thing that she needs to go back and investigate and figure out what really happened. And in the course of doing that, she discovers that the city she grew up in is not that city anymore. And that it probably like slowly she's starting to piece together the fact that like what what is happening to her city is what has happened to her family. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a story about grief and loss on a very micro level and then also on a very macro level where we're looking at like the systems and the structures that can make a family become broken. I think that's a great synopsis because for me, this book was so delicious to read that I know that I would be, you know, like when you watch a movie with someone and you've already seen the movie and you're looking at them for every reaction to see how they will react to your favorite parts. I would be that mm -hmm. person but just telling them like, and then this happened and then this happened <laughs> and then this yeah. happened, but you still should read the book even though I've given you the whole No. It's so good. <laughs> I just want to tell people the story. And one of the things that I like the most is that, you know, the the characters that you have created within this story, there's nothing more aggravating than reading a book with teenagers who sound like they're 45 years old. Yeah. And the dialogue yeah was so rich and reminiscent of my time as working uh, with high school students that I had to read it out loud. Like I just wanted to hear how it sounded in, out in the space. Mm -hmm. And it just made me miss my students so much. When you mm. sit down to write a book where teenagers live, how important is it for you to nail that sound as it sits within the plot of the story? Oh, it's, it's literally everything. I, as a former educator of 10 years, I spent most of my time with high schoolers, ninth through 12th grade. And because I taught in a very alternative kind of way, there was a lot of listening I got to do, a lot of like bonding one-on-one -on -one with them and more like mentorship styles. And also just like 
having very unconventional kind of roles in my classroom where I just, uh, you know, I got to witness how kids are when they're not trying to like pretend for adults. And over that time, I just did lots of eavesdropping, lots of just hearing young people talk to each other and how they talk to each other and like all of these different codes. And it was just the most important thing to me because me as a reader, even like there are some books that have won all these awards that tons of people love that I cannot get through because the 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 young people or the kids don't sound real to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always feel like the dialogue is just really important um, to the reader's ability to imagine the story like actually happening and being something that they can be invested in. Yeah, it, you hit it on the head. It just reminded me of like having because I used to be a high school librarian and so having the students Mm. come in especially the seniors because you know a lot of times they don't always have a class all the way through so they'll come and sit in the library and sit in my office and not talk to me just carry these conversations on and it just is a freedom of being able to create a space where they're free to be themselves and have that conversation with an adult in the room and this book it just reminded me so much of that it took me back to like the space mm-hmm. where I was in that same age. Mm-hmm. Like to when a book does that, I, I'm like hands down. I'm like, I you 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 got me mm-hmm. right there. Because sometimes when I read books for you know young people, it always seems like I'm always looking from the inside, like from from the outside. I'm mm, always, yeah, I'm involved in the story. I felt like I was one of their friends yeah like I felt like I was it like I was there I was in in Nana's house I I was everywhere they were at in the car in Michigan in New York it was so much fun it was so much fun just on that alone everyone should just read it so they can (laughs) I agree child self right so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I I really love hearing that because I just, I don't know what happens to us after certain ages. And it's very interesting to watch like people I went to college with, they're starting to take after their parents. And like, I'm hearing the same phrases, you know, on on social media and in conversation, like, you know, kids these days and the problem with young people right now is, Mm. and like they, they, you know, somebody needs to, to like, they need to start acting like they have some sense and just all these things that make me just be like, how do you, how have you already forgotten Mm. like the way you used to feel as a young person trying to figure it out? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, it's so frustrating, but I do think I have a a privilege in the sense that I spent a lot of time with kids that are not my own. And so I'm sure that I have seen them in ways that the average adult, if they don't work with kids have not seen. Right. Right. So we we both think that the greatest strength of this book, it's, it's realistic adaptations and expectations about life. It felt like you put a microscope in our lives and told us, it's okay, it's okay to be messy and imperfect. It made us feel that a warm hug is included in every book. How important was it to approach writing the book this way? Hmm. Uh, I think, I think it, it was largely important because 
I also was writing toward the kind of book that I hadn't come across as a young person. Mm. Um, I think we're super blessed right now with all the great YA, the, the, the YA that just is like, a lot of contemporary YA that's out there now that just like had, has every kind of young person in them. Um, I was writing toward just like the messiness that I had experienced as a young person. And that's really, it's what I wanna read. I wanna read about imperfect people and I wanna read about anger and rage. Um, I wanna read about, you know, the things I've seen in my life. And I know that like most of our lives are not perfect as many of these novels have, have made it seem or a lot of the, you know, the, the classics, not even including uh, young people like us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it just was really important for me to portray what I had seen, what I felt, and then also really trying to create stories that allow us to imagine something different and that feature kids that are trying to contemplate a different reality. So we we felt your love for the children when you were writing this book. Like I said earlier, it had the power to transport us to a different reality that have happened to us all through our our young adult life. Um, It speaks for me, the power of the stories that are written for people like us. What keeps Candice Elo going to allow us to read stories that are truly transformational such as this? Well, I spend a lot of time in community with other artists. Um, I watch a lot of movies, which it keeps me really, really, really inspired being able to visualize these different kinds of stories. Um, I spend a lot of time alone, which is really helpful for me to just be quiet because I feel like life is just so noisy these days, living in a time where we we are just constantly getting information. Reading, of course, keeps me going because I'm just like, I'm, you know, writers today are really keeping me on my toes. Like I thought I did something and then it's like, oh, but look at this though. And so that (laughs) my peers really make me feel like, oh, you, you think you did something? You didn't do anything yet. Like, (laughs) how about you, how about you try this over here? Like, how about you push this, you know, this narrative a little bit further? Um, And then also I think that uh, living more simply lately, po- you know, not post pandemic, but like throughout this pandemic, learning how to live a slower life. Mm. Um, that has helped me a lot, like to just not take on a lot of things that are not mine. And then, uh, you know, just, I don't know, like being more gentle with myself and not pressuring myself to, to be grinding all the time. Recently, you know, I like to stalk all of our guests that that come on, and so I'll stay in your stories. And uh, you recently you put a story up in your Instagram about an apartment building that was being built uh, in a neighborhood in Philly where the rent I, I think it was starting at like three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Gentrification is running rampant in our country, and it looks as if there is no end to this wildfire of capitalism. I want you to talk about us. Um, uh, talk to us about the inclusion of this particular subject within your novel. Mm. Uh, so I just, I really, at this point, I feel like gentrification and these urban development projects are nearly impossible to escape. And 
when I was thinking about this story and thinking about the idea of home, which all of my stories do, um, I really was just thinking about how hard it has, has, has become for me and my peers to, to like nail down housing that we're happy with it and that we can actually afford. And it's just, it's, it, it, it really, it really became something that was like added to the long list of systemic things that make it hard for families to thrive and like not be dealing with constant threat to their livelihood. Um, so I, I thought about all of that. I thought about like, as I started writing the story, I was looking at my own neighborhood and um, just like, you know, I posted in my Instagram stories, like it's like every other day I'm coming across a new property now. Mm. And one that we didn't ask for, one that we didn't know about, one that doesn't even look sturdy, one that is replacing a beautiful patch of grass or a park. And it just seems ridiculous. Like it is consuming, it is nonstop. And it makes me wonder how young people feel about growing up in this and like how they're going to sustain or how they're going to um, make it. Because mm -hmm. it's just like what, what we've set up for them is not it. It's not it at all. Like something else has to be done. And I'm just, I, I, I always feel like I'm at a loss of, around like, what would it be like to really be a young person right now? Like I have to really tap into my imagination with that one. Yeah, absolutely. Like outside of, outside of where we live, it's like a, a trail. And right in front of that trail is a four-story apartment complex that spat, like spouted out of nowhere. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I was like, every day that like, you know, we would go on that trail. I was just like, how, how did we let this thing happen? Mm. And it's, you know, at some point, I'm sure that the trail would disappear. I would hate for that to happen, but it's kind of like, it's it's eating on like that that land like you said like parks trees like why is it so important to build all of that why can't we just let trees be in land okay yes exactly and, and building the apartments let people live there you know not not exclude people who actually need homes because that's everybody right yeah and when you're creating these spaces it's so frustrating for me because you know with reading your book I recently, I, my brother is sick. So I had to go drop some food off to his, to him. And he lives in my mom's home. Mm -hmm. And we grew up in this neighborhood where we were the first black family in this neighborhood. And then by the nineties, the entire neighborhood was all black. So we watched it transform, right? Mm -hmm. And now going into that neighborhood, you see those white signs everywhere within the houses, the houses are going for sale. You're seeing people move into these houses that don't look like us. And it's like, all of a sudden, everybody wants to come back. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to make all of these renovations and, and tell you, you know, like you no longer exist here. And like you said, I feel that frustration of like not knowing what the future will hold because the greed is so, is so great. And, yeah. you know, fearing for not only my life but like you said like the children who are coming up like what would their lives be like but you know I'm sure like everything we will persevere and get through this um we yeah. uh grief is you brought you mentioned earlier is a part of your of your book 
and it is a nonlinear process. It also can take months and even years for us to grieve. What did you want to tell your readers, especially your younger audiences, about this particular state of being? Mm. Um, I mean, I really wanted to highlight all the different ways that grief can show up in a person, and it's not always what you think it's going to be. Um, it's not always when you think it's going to be either. And like you were just pointing out about the, the length of time, like I've had a therapist that said, I'm probably going to be grieving my mom for the rest of my life, which I genuinely believe. Mm. Um, I feel like grief is one of those things that you, you don't get to just say when you're going to be done with it. Um, and grief also morphs into other lessons about life and other ways of perceiving life. And so I, I really want young people to feel validated in all of the things that are coming up for them when they are seeing all these changes happen and not feel like, like while feeling sort of powerless and like, what, what are we gonna do? Um, so I, want, I wanted there to just be a space for a young person or anybody reading it to just feel like, hey, let, like it's okay for me to wild out a little bit. It's okay for me to have some very mean hard things to say it's okay for me to be disappointed in people that I love it's okay for me to be residually angry about something that I thought had been resolved like it's okay like your response to what you're seeing around you is very logical and it actually makes a lot of sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and I and when you said about you know earlier when when we asked about you like what you know how how are you able to make stories like this i think it's kind of like because our environment is so fast paced that we don't give people especially children young people a chance to feel what they have to feel so they can process it because if adults can't even like manage these feelings how about you know children that haven't been in this world for so long mm -hmm. so yeah having having that time and just being with yourself and maybe if they see it they see it reflected in something that they read they would have that space or that avenue to kind of like just bridge the gap so you've written all this like hard heavy you know subjects how are you able to maintain like self-love or how were you able to take care of yourself while you were writing the book Lots of naps, oh. lots of naps, lots of walks, lots of disassociation. Got <laughs> there <me> times <laughs> it, yeah, like there were times where I just very completely unplugged, like have my phone for a few days or like take a break from social media or just, yeah, like just lots of breaks in, in every shape and form is what saved me so that I just wasn't constantly walking around carrying something that um, felt so hard. How does it feel to be able to go into spaces and talk about your new book? Like you've been everywhere. How does that feel like face to face and seeing all these people? Yeah, I go between feeling very excited and also having meltdowns. Uh, because I am, I am truly an introvert. And so even though I really like to be in community and like this book felt like it really needed to like be launched in community, I have these moments when 
I'm doing events and I realize everybody's looking at me and everybody's listening to what I'm saying. And, you know, there are moments where I'm being vulnerable and I'm realizing like people are seeing it in real time right in front of them. And I, you know, sometimes become self-conscious, but then at some point I arrived back to this place of realizing like, this is what I really wanted. This is why I fundraised for my own tour because I wanted to be out here in community in all these different ways. And I did not, uh, I was not getting messages that, you know, my publisher was gonna help me achieve that. Hmm. And so I worked, I worked for this experience and there are many times that there's overwhelm, but then there's a lot of moments where I'm, I'm completely present and I'm just like, oh, this, this was just a conversation three months ago. Mm. When you, um, when you released your first novel, that was, that was that at the start of the pandemic or was it prior to? It was uh, towards the, like the middle of the first year. So my, everybody looking came out September, 2020. And it was at a time when like a lot of bookstores weren't even open at all for like in-person shopping. So yeah, I was in the thick of it um, when it comes to like people not feeling safe to be in community at all, like certain kinds of businesses just being completely shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a lot of, you know, events like a book launch being considered very uh, low on the priority, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, list because of everything that was happening. So yeah, it was a very tough time to debut. What was that experience like dealing with this tough time and releasing this book, but yet and still you are a National Book Award finalist? Very, very interesting that you bring that up. Um, (laughs) I, you know, I talk about it sometimes with friends where like I am very grateful that I got that national recognition because I really was very fearful of my book debut being swallowed up in all of what was happening Mm. throughout the world. I felt like, you know, out of all the things a person might have to prioritize right now, like my book launch was not one of those things. And I, I, awards are one of those things that it's just like, I wasn't thinking about awards or being recognized in certain ways while I was writing the book. Like it was not something I focused on at all. And then it was a big surprise. And, uh, you know, all of the celebration around that and rec- like the, the actual ceremony and stuff happened all online, but it really was a blessing for that to happen because awards also bring all of this uh, exposure and attention to your story that you might not have gotten otherwise. When you got the news, like how, who delivered it? Who told you that you were that you were up for running? Was it something that you just found out on your own, or did someone call you and and let you know? Oh no, my editor Andrew is always the deliverer of the big news, and so anytime I hear from him, and it's not a text message or an email, but it's a phone call, I know that it's like something that's either urgent or very exciting, wow. and. I actually happened to be in the emergency room the day that I found out I was on the long list because I just was having some health issues and he's calling me while I'm in the waiting room. And when he called me and uh, I think right before he called me, he sent me the link that announced all 10 names. Um, 
and he, I looked at it and I just like was staring at it and he calls me and he's like, yeah, da, da, da. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, is this real? Like the first thing I asked him was if it was real. And he's like, yeah. And he's just like laughing and super excited about it. And um, similar scenario uh, when I think it was like a, a few weeks or a month later when they're announcing the shortlist, I was in my apartment. Andrew called me and he told me I was on the shortlist and I just was screaming. <laughs> and uh, like I couldn't, whenever I'm like really surprised, I usually am repeating over and over, are you serious? Are you serious right now? And that was me. And after I got off the phone with Andrew, I called my dad and I started crying. And yeah, it was just one of those things that felt really good, but it wasn't like something that I had really thought about much until it was happening. And that whole thing became like a very fast paced, intense couple of months where there was just all this press and all of these interviews and all these people who are suddenly interested in me because I was a part of this list. And um, it was just a really wild ride, but I'm really grateful that it happened. When you decided that you wanted to be a writer, was this ever in your, your imaginings of what it could bring? Not in specifics. I am though one of those people, one of those creatives, artists who I do like have daydreams where I'm like, oh, I'm going to wear this outfit to the award show, Mm. or I'm going to do this when I meet such and such. And like, when this happens with my book, I'm going to buy this for myself. And so it's always been kind of like a far off possibility, but I was not saying very specific things like I'm going to be a national book award finalist or I'm going to be such and such because I still was learning what all these awards were like I literally had just had Jason months prior explain every literary award to me and what it means Um, otherwise I would not have like known like I, I understand national book award Um, is a big deal, but also like I need it in context, like who chooses this? What is the process? What does it actually mean for how your book is placed and viewed in the world? Like I needed a crash course and I'm glad I had that right before that happened. Yeah, what a, what an amazing thing to have written something and to get this, this particular honor. Um, how important is having a tribe that gives you unconditional love no matter what, especially within the last two years? Oh, it's everything. It is literally everything. I don't think that, I don't think a a sustainable art career is even possible without um, like a, a, a strong community around you who inspires you and who showers you with affirmations and like shows up for you even when you don't ask for it. I think it's, yeah, like art is communal. Like it is really, even though you, you know, a lot of us writers, we have to be solitary when we're creating. I think the experience is really communal in the sense that you are a student of the world and you have to have, you have to live a life. You have to have experiences. So you have something to say. Um, So I feel yeah, like I would be nothing without my community. My community is what triggered all of this in the first place. Mm. 
Yeah, and especially like I understand what you meant, like you know your your community is like the spe- this specific people that you chose for yourself. Because I am very much an introvert. Like Veronica knows this. <laughs> we we talked to like some of the librarians here in Florida like a couple weeks ago, and I was about to say, Veronica, you're on your own, and she was like but we do this like in the podcast I'm like but we're in like a safe space and it's just the two of us (laughs) in front of a computer that's two different things very two big things that are very different (laughs) (laughs) like and then she looked at she's like wow you really are an introvert I'm like I've been trying to tell you all this time man people do not be believing us at all they they always it's not that I don't believe like I know like you know no you had this look no 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 no. I because there there were a lot of other things surrounding us going to Jacksonville and uh in particular one was like you know everybody had fallen ill like that week Mm. before and so it was like are we going to be able to make it and Denny was you know the caretaker and her baby got sick and I know that I am a more extroverted person and right. so it would be it would be nothing for me to like go up on the on the stage, but I knew that it wouldn't be the same without her. And it's just been amazing, like to you know drag her along throughout this whole thing yes. of like creating drag. a podcast and her saying yes. So I understand what it is for you all to have to like pull it together and say, okay, let me show face and talk to these people. Yes. <laughs> Like the, the have to shower and brush my hair and like brush my it, teeth and wear a bra. Oh my it's so God. much. <laughs> it's so much. Yes, exactly that. Yes. I can, I just need like I just need like a warm drink and leave me be where I can read. And that's not, you know, that's not an exaggeration. That is real life. So <laughs> the people that I choose to like be in the bubble, it's it's like that's like my pillars of my yeah there's not a lot of them yeah (laughs) so speaking of friends um so you are friends with a few of our like favorite authors and creators particularly like Sasha Mahogany and Mateo what is it to have all these individuals and other countless others in your circle of creativity friendship and kinship Mm. I mean, I'm just ever inspired. I'm just consistently inspired and challenged. And yeah, it's it's a lot of pressure sometimes, to be honest with you, because it's like, it's hard to not, it, it's hard to do nothing or just like chill out and like not be pushing yourself when you're surrounded by people who you're seeing do that all the time. And you're seeing you're seeing them reap the benefits of doing that kind of work. Um, But I learned the value of mentorship a long time ago. Like my dad was telling me a long time ago that having all kinds of mentors, even peer mentors, like it changes everything. Mm. And so I think it is one of the best decisions I've made. I mean, I started building that kind of creative uh, community when I went to Howard. And that was like the beginning of lots of good decisions when it came to the community that I was building. Let's talk about Howard. I went to okay. Florida A and M. I toured Florida A and M, and I considered it. 
Oh, man, it would have been a blessing to have you there. I'm sorry that you chose Howard, but I do want to talk about your experience there. I saw in an old post, you had posted uh, a graduation photo uh, from like 10 years um, from mm-hmm. that point that when you posted it of you graduating, of you having quite a night before and not knowing if you were going to make it the day of graduation. But I want you to talk about that particular experience of being in an HBCU and getting the knowledge that you that you received during that time to to be in the place where you are now. Yeah, I went to PWIs for from you know, preschool to high, like graduating high school, like all the schools I went to were predominantly white. Mm. And I don't remember how I came across the idea to go to Howard, because back then I had different goals and different values. And I was like looking into business schools and um, I was like a part of youth ministry. And I was very conflicted about leaving that. And I only applied to two schools and one of them was Howard. And when I got in, my one of my mentors at the time just was like, no, but you have to go. Like, you don't understand. You literally have to go. Like, do you understand what, how important Howard is and how big Howard is and what the legacy is? Like, you really, you have to go. And so I ended up uh, taking that plunge after I went, like did parents weekend with my dad and fell in love with the campus and it just has been very transformative for me um I feel like I got exposed to some of the best people in the world some of the smartest people in the world and lots of teachers who undid a lot of the trauma that I gained from going to a predominantly white school Mm. um lots of teachers who sewed into me and like helped me reframe how I look at myself and how I how I talk about myself and how I um, you know, what I value, it just was, it's unmatched. Like, it's one of those things that like, I, you know, if you, if a young person, a, like a, a black young person is wanting to go to college, like I highly recommend that they go to an HBCU so that they can, they can go somewhere where it feels like they are not like the, some type of exception to the rule. Yeah. Um, like I really, loved being at Howard because it felt like I was surrounded by all the other smart black kids in the class like Mm -hmm. that's why it was the challenge it wasn't special that I was smart like we all were smart and we all but we all had like come from different backgrounds and so at the same time I still got to experience all of these different kinds of people who live differently than me um have different family structures than me like it was the first time I met somebody from Trinidad ever. Wow. And so it just was really, um, it, it feels like one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Um, so we've come to the part of our conversation that I truly love the most. And that is, we love to ask our writers, what are your, we, we split the question. So you have, you have a choice. Okay. We want to know what are your top five favorite books of all time? Or what are the top five favorite books that you are most excited about that you want people to know that are coming? 
Oh, I love number two so much more <laughs> <laughs> because I am not an of all time kind of person. The things that I love uh, change often. And what I, so I, I really want to like, I guess, shout out like five books that I'm currently obsessed with um, or have been for a long time. I, I just read uh, Tiffany Jackson's White Smoke, mm. which blew my whole mind. It also had a lot of similar themes to Break This House, mm. and, but it was told um, from a horror lens. Like it was really scary to read. Mm. and I really enjoyed it like it was really well written I was all in I had you know it, it it fit the bill of one of those books that you you escape with but it also is very grounded in reality so mm. I enjoyed that so much um I'm still very obsessed with the stars and the blackness between them by Junauda mm. Petrus um just a really beautiful um black queer love story uh between a black American girl and a Trini black girl. Um, and it's just, man, like I aspire to write a story like that with so much love and care. Mm -hmm. um, I also recently read a book that isn't out yet. It's gonna be out August 9th, I believe of this year um, called How You Grow Wings. Um, and it's by Rima Oseta. And it's, I think it's her debut novel and last year I read it at the end of the year and it was my favorite book of the entire year. Oh. Um, it takes place in Nigeria and it is a sister story and it was incredible. It was just written like a, like she's been writing books forever. Mm -hmm. And um, anybody who has had any kind of like, uh, like Nigerian experience, whether you were born there or born here, and our first generation, like it just hit home so much, like to see two Nigerian teenagers work through uh, traditions that they don't agree with and trauma that they're experiencing because of poverty or just like not having access to certain things or one of them being um, dark skin and one of them being light skin. Like it just was, I can't wait for that to come out and for me to tell everybody to get it. Mm -hmm. Um. What is that? That's three books, two yes. books, three books. Three. Okay. Uh, number four, I really am still in love with uh, Pet by oh. Okoike Amezi. <laughs> um, Having just, everybody in a chokehold. <laughs> yeah, that book is just incredible and imaginative. And it is one of those... Uh, YA novels that does such a great job of presenting a different kind of family structure to mm -hmm. the readers and it just be treated as as a norm because it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I really just loved how the characters and the relationship structures sh structures were given so much respect and um, it was just a really beautiful story and what else what else the least you said what. I said last but not the least. Last but not the least. Mm. I'm a slow reader, so I haven't read a million. Oh, yes. Okay. Early Departures. Early Departures by Justin uh, A. Reynolds. Mm. 
mm. uh, is another great grief book um, because it is told in a very comical packaging. Like it is a best friend story um, and it's, uh, it just has a lot of magical realism in there. Mm. And um, it's just hilarious from beginning to end while also helping the reader navigate a really sad thing and, and navigate loss. Um, and there's just great uh, grief ritual happening in, in that book where young people are given space to do what they need to do to process something that's really heavy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was telling Denny how much I wished it was in a way where all of these books that we've read over the last three years that we could just create like a Marvel universe type where these characters <laughs> have these crossovers because like Yamina, like I would like to see Yamina crossover and just like see Buck walk in the street because they both oh my you know, god like, yes. and then have Corrine Sky yes. like around the corner and then you know like have city leave from the south and come visit his cousin up in new york or or mm. you know yamina go to where city is like i just want all of these characters just to cross paths some kind of way man if i was oprah rich i would make that movie <laughs> i know listen I would. I would be trying to see that movie oh man yes. you all are just masters at creating these wonderful characters that have lived with us and continue to live with us and I just want to say on behalf of everyone that will will come in contact with your work thank you thank you so so very much oh wow thank you thank you for reading and for advocating for us and like I I feel our readers and community like you who just like talk about us everywhere are like why we're we're still here so I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you writing it and doing all that labor of love. So and coming to talk to us about it because you could be doing absolutely nothing right now. And we are very appreciative. Like it, it just is remarkable whenever we have authors that agree to come on the show to talk about their work um, that you will spend this hour, you know, listening to us gush over you all um but answer, it's a joy and answer like you know probably like the same questions that you've been asked <laughs> all all this time but no know. these have been new and fresh questions I've had a great time that's mm. right nobody asking her about that cat I know oh, oh, <laughs> only, only me in my head <laughs> no nah, that was the best one I felt like wow my cats are very seen yes <laughs> okay they're internet famous they don't yeah <laughs> Well, Candace, thank you so very much um, for coming onto the show. We hope that, you know, we can have this happen again in the future. Um, but we we can't wait for other people to read your your wonderful work and anything else to follow. Are there any future projects that that you want people to know about? Salt the water. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So my um, second novel in verse, Salt the Water, comes out next year. And I'm currently wrapping that up right now. And it is about a non-binary teen who has dreams of living off the grid with their friends after high school. Um, and it takes place in a quote unquote post-COVID society. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. where young people, this particular group of young people have become uh, fed up with the way that things are. And so they kind of want to divest completely and create their own living situation. Um, but it is a challenge because they are reminded about all of these rules of the real world the whole time, like the ability to escape is kind of challenging because you are born into a certain kind of world. So I'm having fun writing that. That is coming out next year. I also am like trickling into some other genres and hopefully we'll have like some good news to share soon about that. Okay, okay. <laughs> But I am very yeah. excited for Water the Salt because that's like salt what? the water. Salt the water. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank that's, you. Right, that's right up my alley. That 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 um that topic and a post-COVID world. I want that for me. All I Everybody. think about is like farming. Like all the lush vegetables that you can make. Mm -hmm. I, I I I like. I, my day job is I am in the, I'm a nurse. So I'm very excited about the post COVID world. Oh yes. Oh yes. I want to give that to everybody. Yes. That's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm lining up to be reading this book. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I, I love I, it. I need more. Yes. Candace, yes. I need more. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. You've, you've, cr you've created a little um, Candace monster. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. That sounds, that, I am so appreciative. Thank you. Well, on that note, we will let you go. Thank you so very much again for coming on to the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We can't wait to see what's next. You just go and get you some rest and, and enjoy the rest of your week. Okay. All righty. You too. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. 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 If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let us explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.